Hello and welcome to One Light, Dialogues on Religion with Dr. Farhad Shafti and your host, Veronica Polo. In this series of talks, Farhad and I discuss the role of religion and spirituality using the Islamic tradition as our framework, while simultaneously searching for universal truths that go beyond religious affiliation. Join us on our journey to untangle common misconceptions and deepen our understanding of the monotheistic tradition and beyond. Salaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Salaam wa How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm well, alhamdulillah. So we're getting towards the end of Ramadan, and this is also our third and final episode of the Ramadan three-part series. So what we could talk about is what this means, this final period of Ramadan, which is supposed to be more blessed than the initial parts. They say that in the last five or 10 odd nights of Ramadan, an occurrence happens, Laylatul Qadr, which is the night of power or the night of destiny. And this is the night that it is said that the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, received revelation. Some say he received the first verses. Some say in some way he received the whole message of the Quran. But it's a very significant and blessed night. So Muslims believe that if they are praying on that night, which we don't know the exact date of, um, you could receive a lot of blessings from making that connection and that it somehow also sets your destiny for the year. So could you speak a little bit more about that, Farhad, and explain what that means, how you understand it? Okay, um, thank you, Veronica, and I'm glad that you stressed on how I understand it, because uh, what I'm going to talk about by no means would be representation of what perhaps most Muslims or particular groups of Muslims see it, I just talk about the way that I understand it. Um, from technical point of view, one of the most mysterious chapters of the Quran is the chapter of Qatr. Inna anzalna fi laylatul Qatr. This is one of the most mysterious chapters of the Quran. And the concept that it is passing to us is also very mysterious. Mm. There are many, many, many unanswered questions about the concept of Laylatul Qadr and about this particular chapter. When I say there are many, many, many unanswered questions, what I mean by that is that you find that there is no specific agreed upon answer for all these questions. Otherwise, every individual may have his own or her own answer. I have my own answers, but I wouldn't consider that as answering the answer to the question. Um, I mean, to start with, you, you in a way, in a subtle way, you referred to one of them when you said this night of power or night of destiny. In other words, the word Qadr, does that mean power here? Does that mean destiny? Or does that mean measure or measurements or anything else? That is to start with about the questions about this. What exactly is Ruh, spirit, in this chapter, when he talks about it, is it Jibreel, Gabriel, or is it mm. different from that? that that's mm. another question. What exactly is, is the meaning of 
بإذن ربهم من كل أمر with the permission of the Lord they come with or by or for every affair and the reason I used three expressions is that all those expressions and perhaps more can be derived from the verse تنزل الملائكة والروح يا بإذن ربهم من كل أمر this من كل أمر this men can be interpreted in many ways. For instance, you can interpret it as the Ruh, the Spirit, whatever it is, and the angels are coming with the permission of God for every affair, or by every affair, or from every affair. It can be interpreted in many ways. Then there are some conceptual questions, like, okay, we can understand from the Quran that Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan, as you mentioned again, whether that was start of revelation or somehow the truth of the Quran was revealed and then gradually it was revealed through 23 years. That is another question to ask. But there are other questions, questions that may be important for us would be that, can we actually argue that Laylatul Qadr continued after the era of the prophets? If we say that it was for revelation of the Quran, then on what basis do we think that after Prophet, we still have Laylatul Qadr? Hmm. And if we do have Laylatul Qadr, then on what basis we can argue that it is in the month of Ramadan? Can it not be then in another month? And then, of course, perhaps some of the listeners to this will say, well, what? hang on, we have narrations about this, and they're absolutely right. We'd, we then go to narrations. And this, then, of course, yes, narrations are more specific. But then comes different things that you get from the narrations and whether those narrations, ahadith, are actually reliable enough or not. And as you know, the narrations do not specify particularly one night as that night. And they just say that, well, it, it will be one of the odd nights during the last 10 nights of the month of Ramadan. Uh, I know that according to the Shia Muslims, they think that 23rd is the most likely. And mm-hmm. I know that according to the Sunni Muslims, I think they think that 27th is the most likely, if I'm not wrong. And uh, yes, the discussions go on and on and on. So I'm looking at this from another point of view. How did Laylatul Qadr happen? The prophets used to go to these places in particular, the Ghar Hira, as they call it, this particular cave. And he would do worship in those places in seclusion. And he would try to connect with the Almighty in his worships. And he used to do that for many, many, many years. Whenever anybody tries to improve his or her spirituality and connect to that ultimate truth, there is a possibility for that individual to get some sort of enlightenment and some sort of response from that ultimate truth. Everybody will get ordinary response, which is the feeling of pleasure, the feeling of spiritual pleasure, I mean, and the feeling that you have become a better person and all that, but this answer can be in a higher and higher level and can be in a level that we can call it a significant answer and an answer that you may refer to it as some sort of 
reward or enlightenment. So the Prophet used to go there and go there. And at one particular night, he received his answer from God. He received his significant answer from God. He received that enlightenment, or you may say he received that reward. And that was the Quran, the book that every other, every, every one of us Muslims are benefiting from. So the reward that the Prophet received was such a huge reward that all his followers are also benefiting from it. That only indicates how much the Prophet worked in order to receive that reward and how much spiritually he managed to become advanced and advanced in order to receive such a huge, huge reward. Okay, so let us review what I just said. Who initiated this? It was the Prophet who initiated it. It was him who started all these acts of worship. It was the spiritual energy that he would put in. He made his own Laylatul Qadr. He made his own night of power or destiny. It wasn't like the night was there and randomly the Prophet was lucky enough to match that night and boom, things happened. No. Oh, I he think went. I know what you're getting at. Yes. He made his night of power. That was the night of power that the Prophet made for himself. And he got the reward from that. And from here, what I'm trying to say, Veronica, maybe it is not like it is us who are seeking night of power. Maybe it's the other way around. It's the night of power that is seeking us. We need to make our own night of power by our own act, by our own spiritual energy. We need to make it. The way that you're explaining it now, contrasted with the way I think most Muslims think about it, it seems like they're playing the lottery. You know, they're just buying their tickets and hoping that they get lucky and that they they happen to choose the right night to stay up all night and they're going to get a good year with lots of blessings because they chose the right night, which is completely different that when somebody, because of that inner yearning, goes on some spiritual journey, some hardship, some isolation, whatever that particular path is for that individual. I mean, I've been thinking about this on my own, sort of tangentially, not specifically about Laylatul Qadr, but how the things, let's say our own personal development and revelation, so to speak, come from that work that we do ourselves. And of course, the Prophet had a very uh, significant as you call it, reward. From what I understand, he was very troubled by what he saw in, in society, in Arabian society, by the mistreatment of people. And he needed to take time away from that to connect with God and to find answers. And God graced him with that, with those answers, which he was able to translate for people. But as you say, it was through his own striving. Yes. So learning from what the prophet did, that's the way to go. Instead of, as you said, treating it as some sort of God-forbidden lottery, you know, a random lottery, maybe we can get it, maybe not. Guessing what, maybe it's this night or maybe it's that night. We make it for ourselves. Let me build on what I just said. It is my view that it is acts of human beings on this earth 
that make things holy. Mm-hmm. Whether that thing is a location, like a mosque, or that thing is time, like month of Ramadan or anything else. In my understanding, it is the act of human beings that make that thing holy. Not mm-hmm. that that thing itself has some mysterious thing in it, and then mm-hmm. it happens that catches you when you pass through it. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's the other way around. It is us who are making our light of Al-Qadr. The Prophet did it <clears throat> at, at his own time, and he got such a huge, huge reward that we are benefiting from it right now. Mm-hmm. We need to do it ourselves as well. We need to create our own Laylatul Qadr so that we can then get our own spiritual benefit from it. Of course, within the framework of Abrahamic religions and Islamic uh, Muslim framework that the Prophet has provided for us. We need to get our own spiritual experience from it. And in fact, every moment of highly spiritual experience that you or anyone else have had so far, those moments were the moments of path for all of you. You already had it. All of us had it, yeah? It's just about how elevated you want it to be, you know? It can be something like just feeling spiritual pleasure which stays with you for half an hour, that is still wonderful, but well, it's quite minor. Or it can be something that changes your whole thinking and your whole way of life. Mm-hmm. And that will be changing your destiny. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the way that your destiny will be changed. That's so beautiful, Farhad. Really, truly, it's beautiful because we are supposed to be here as Khalifas. We're God's agents. And you've pointed out many times that God blew his spirit in us. So what are we going to do with that? What do we do with that light that's been put in us? How do we manifest that? And we are all unique. We do not all come here as robots and automatons. We came here as unique beings that perhaps can transmit that particular light in our own way. Even though, of course, there's that wisdom that comes from the prophets themselves that guide us because we also need that external guidance. But we also need to make the inner journey ourselves because that's our work. Yeah. And just talking about this destiny and following up from what I said was that you can do it in a level that you change yourself and therefore you change your destiny. Mm. If you want Mm -hmm. to see what level the prophet did, See mm. the level that the prophet did, that he changed mm. the destiny of the whole world. <laughs> the, the reverberations around, you know, if you think of it as a sound wave, after his passing, his message just continued to spread. Continues. So, so look at the level of reward that he got, the effect of it to the destiny of the entire humankind. So this is the way that I see it. Now, uh, I need to say, perhaps one or two points here, and that is, so does that then go against, for instance, deciding that most people are saying, let's say, it's the night of 27th, so I want to put my effort, concentrate my effort on the night of 27th. Is this going against that? 
No, of course not. So you can decide that, yeah, okay, it's a month of Ramadan. It's the last 10 days. It does make sense that this is a good time to try to reach that level. I can see friends, neighbors, all of them, trying to concentrate on these particular nights. This produces lots of spiritual energy. Why Why should I not put myself in line with that? Absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. But yes. as long as we remember that at the end of the day, it is you who needs mm-hmm. to produce that. Okay, mm-hmm. so the platform is ready for you. You want to do it on the night of 27th? Beautiful. But this is only the platform. You need to produce on this platform. Just, just being on that platform, I, I cannot say does not have any benefits, of course, it can have benefits, but it won't be that benefit that you look for, for the Laylatul Path, for the night of power or destiny or measurement or whatever you want to call it. Mm, mashallah, that's a beautiful interpretation. But yeah, I think both can coexist. Both can coexist. Your own inner seeking and the communal acts that inspire us yeah. to, to do something. And, you know, maybe... I say maybe because I can't say it for sure, but maybe the reason we do not have specific instructions about what this night is, and in some of the narrations it says, well, seek it during those nights, is because of the same thing, that you know, you need to find it, you need to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want to also say something else. <clears throat> now, imagine that I make this argument, and imagine that people argue against it and say, well, beautiful argument, but that goes against what most Muslims know, and that goes against the appearance of some of the things that we have in some of the narrations as well. Uh, So we disagree with you. We don't think what you're saying is right, okay? I would argue that even if you go with the popular understanding about this, still you will end up with the same practical conclusion. Because you see, a very common question that people ask is this, Laylatul Qadr, the night of destiny. If I happen not to do well on that night, let's say I just sleep the whole night, or I'm up, but I'm not up for any acts of worship or anything, or I'm doing acts of worship, but I see it's not, it's not helping. I, I don't have the concentration at all. So is that me then? I have no choices, so I have no other opportunities. So this is me. My destiny has gone wrong. Uh, My prayers for forgiveness has gone wasted, and I'm not going to be forgiven for the next 12 months. So basically, I don't need to even worry about it because I cannot change it. I need to wait if God gives me enough time to try to do it again next time. The answer, the traditional answer to this question is no. It is not like that. How do you know? Because it might be that in that night, it is your destiny that, for instance, three months later, at one night, you manage to get that spiritual energy and you ask for forgiveness and God forgives you. And then you become connected to that spiritual uh, level that you would like to be connected. And there you go. So even though in that night you haven't done anything, but it might be your destiny that you will do it a few months later. So see, still it goes back to your own act, to you doing something. 
So what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say is that even if somebody disagrees with me, and even if they say, no, 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 it's, it's all about randomly trying to find that knight, even if that is the case, still when it comes to practicality, all the scholars who have that belief, still they say, it is you who need to do something. Uh, it's not just that night. You need to do something. And then the question that comes to my mind often is to compare it. What's the situation with non-Muslims? So non-Muslims don't stay up all night, so they don't get a reward or their destiny is not set on that night. Or it just, from that perspective, it doesn't make sense to me. Yes. So if you go with that perspective, this common, commonly believed perspective, then it seems like what we are saying is that of all human beings, God has only specified Muslims to benefit from that night of Qadr, night of destiny. Even for Muslims, God has not specified it for them. But anyways, just for the Muslims. Many people may feel happy with that. Many people may, many Muslims, I mean, may feel comfortable saying that, yeah, because Islam is Islam is Islam. So this is it. I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't think you feel comfortable with it because I always say it, and I think you also agree, God is God of everybody. He's exactly. not just God of Muslims. Right. Also, also, even if we go with, with this very, very limited way of thinking, where was the night of destiny and Laylatul Qad before Islam? Mm-hmm. Surely the destiny of the human being and the world needed to be managed before that as well. So are we saying that it was only after Prophet Muhammad that Laylatul Qadr started to happen? Actually, the traditional view would not approve that because according to the traditional view, it is the night itself that is important, not what the act of individuals like Prophet was. So then that night needed to be there even before Prophet Muhammad. So do we have any mention of that in the other scriptures that we believe were coming from God? No, we don't have. So if you now switch to the narration of the Laylatul Qadr that I just offered, which is, it is us who make our own Laylatul Qadr, then all these questions and all these controversies will be eliminated because what basically you you will see is that it's not limited to Muslims. Every individual, every individual who is interested in spiritual path and is on a spiritual path, is, has, and will make their Laylatul Qadr. All of them. Mm-hmm. Whether that individual is Muslim, or Christian, or Jew, or whatever, as long as it is a spiritual path, a reasonable spiritual path, every individual has a chance. I had a podcast in Farsi uh, one week ago, and we were talking about Laylatul Qad there as well. And what I said there, there can easily be many, 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 many non-Muslims who already had their Laylatul Qadr in their past spiritual experiences. And you and I may envy them if we see how great their Laylatul Qadr were. Uh, so, yeah, it is something that is open to every human being. And every human being will make their own Laylatul Qadr in their own way. We Muslims use prayer, Quran, these things to help us. Those other people may use other tools, but all of us are interested in one thing that is in common between all of us, and that is to connect with that ultimate truth 
and through that connection to become better people. Right. So for people who don't speak Arabic, the the concept of Laylatul Qadr again is a night of uh, destiny, a night of power, connecting with God. So whatever your path is, you develop your relationship with God throughout your life. Your path instructs you or helps you or guides you on how to make that connection in a way that is um, affirming and changes you for the better. Yeah. Maybe it was destiny. So that merging, whatever that is that you work for, that causes a sort of a a revelation or merging or an enlightenment or whatever you want to call it with God. It's that journey. It's that work that you do, whatever your path is. Yeah. So what I said was that you connect with that ultimate truth. And by connecting to that ultimate truth, you try to become a better person. Because that's the most important thing. Your connection can only remain strong and sustainable if you deserve it. So you need to become a better person. So it's like a circle. You connect, you become a better person, your connection becomes stronger and just adds to it to itself like that in a circle. Wonderful. Okay, so we've talked about Laylatul Qadr. Something else that we should think about is how to transition out of Ramadan into the rest of the year. So I've talked with people who have had different Ramadan experiences this time around. Some people have struggled because of personal situations. I've talked to some people who've found this Ramadan to be transformative um, and very special. So I think it's uh, different for everybody, but hopefully everyone has benefited in some way, whether it's outwardly noticeable or not. So how do we take whatever benefits, whatever we've done to make us deepen during this time and carry it forward? I think we, in a way, we talked about this in the um, first session that we had in the month of Ramadan, where we were talking about what was the purpose of the month of Ramadan. And we said that the Quran says it's, it's to increase your taqwa, your piety. Basically, what we said was that it's all about becoming a better person, improving yourself. I think we talked about this thing that <clears throat> purification mm-hmm. uh, is really about three relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with others, and relationship with ourselves. In any of these relationships, if we try to be better and do better, then we can argue and we can claim quite correctly that we have managed to become a more pious person. It doesn't need to be something huge. You don't need to think that, okay, so I'm going to make a, such a drastic change in my life. Well, if you can, in a positive way, why not? But normally it's not that easy. Normally individuals manage better when they do things gradually, step by step or half step, half step. So if we choose one think in our system as an individual and we say that i just try to fix this learning from my experience of month of ramazan i will try to fix this during this month and keep it fixed for the rest of my life and that's the way that we are benefiting from this month Mm -hmm. as i said it doesn't need to be necessarily in our relationship with the almighty i said there is a 
triangle here. It can be in any of those parts of the triangle. It can be in a relationship with God, relationship with ourselves. For instance, a person might say, I'm a very disorganized person. I'm seeing that I'm not benefiting from my time the way that I should. So I will try to organize myself. That's what I pick up from this month of Ramadan. That's good. I would include that in the concept of purification. Or you might say that uh, I'm often not good with my, I don't know, brother and sister or my neighbor or whoever, or I sometimes become angry very quickly. So I try to control that. Okay, that's fine. That's still spiritual. These were two sides of that triangle. Or the third side would be your relationship with God. You may say, I'm not reading my prayers on time, so I try to read them on time from this point on, or I do my prayers very fast, I try to not do them very fast. Again, going back to the side of your relationship with yourself, it can be a sin that you know is a is sin, and you do it, and you can decide, like, I'm not going to do that any anymore. That's, again, an improvement. So basically, in answering your question, Veronica, what I'm saying is that there are parts of the effects of month of Ramadan that hopefully everybody will feel even when the month passes. The spiritual experiences that they had and the good memory of that, the effect of that on your spirit for some time you may feel happy spiritually, but all of these are temporary. None of them will stay with the person. You know, as time passes and the everyday life overcomes, we forget about that. What remains with us would be that thing that we decide we want to change in ourselves, and because that is a very measurable target, and you can easily judge whether you managed to do it or you did not manage to do it. Examples that I just said. Did you manage to control your anger or not? Yes or no? There's not. There's no subjectivity here. Did you manage to not waste your time? Yes or no? Did you manage not to commit that sin? Yes or no? That would be the benefit of the month of Ramadan. If we manage to improve even one grain in our system, then the Eid celebration will have a real meaning for us. Because then we will celebrate that we achieved that. If we don't have it, then what is it that we are celebrating? We are just celebrating that, wow, I can eat now, <laughs> rather than celebration of an achievement. So Farhad, you are a management science teacher, which some of our listeners may not know. And it's funny when I listen to you sometimes because I can see the management science part of you coming through because uh, you see things in sort of a, a very quantifiable way. But I think that can be very useful for to think about and to, to implement. I appreciate some of the words that I used might be management science words. I, I, I cannot help that. But the concept is very important because you see, I always think about this and I always talk about it with my loved ones that sometimes we feel spiritual benefits. But when you look back, you find that it was nice, but it never went further than feeling. You know, it didn't change anything. It didn't went further feeling. Yeah, I had this, I had this wonderful spiritual experience. What happened? Ooh, I shook, I cried. I found that my face was going red. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. I hope every one of us can have these experiences more often. However, sometimes these experiences just perish in a matter of one or two hours. Mm -hmm. Why? 
because in our system of being, it has not gone any deeper than the surface of our feelings and emotions. Mm. However, if when we get that feeling, we put that energy in the right direction and say, okay, I got this feeling. I really like to have more of these feelings. I need to fix something in me so that I can benefit more from these feelings. What is it that I want to fix? Then going back to one of those examples I just gave you. For instance, yeah, I become angry very fast. I want to control that now, right? If you manage to control that, then you will see that that spiritual experience has gone through that surface level deep into your profile because you have changed now, okay? Now, going back to my management science terminology, which I'm going to use very skillfully here, that feeling of, oh, my face became red and I started crying. If somebody asks you spiritually, how much is that benefiting you? That is subjective. One person might say, oh, it's very beneficial. The other person might say, well, hang on, it's just drops of tear coming from your eyes. You had the same drops when you were watching a, a movie the other night and your face went red. I have seen your face going red in front of other people as well. So uh, it's not such a huge thing, right? And it's up to debate. But that change in my profile, like, for instance, controlling my anger, that is not up to discussion. If I have really managed to control my anger and I've established that, that is real, authentic benefit of that spirituality. That's what I meant when I said that it is measurable, meaning it is not subjective. It is real. It has gone through your surface emotional level. Mm-hmm. Yes. So another question that I have is how do we maintain our prayers in a deep and meaningful way? How do we make our prayers worthy? Um, yes. So let me just say one thing about prayers. I don't know if you noticed, Veronica, that our prayer, the format of our prayer as Muslims, and I'm sure you can find example of this in other spiritual paths as well, is kind of, if I may use the word correctly, progressive format. So let me, you mean? Yeah, so let me explain this. So we start our prayer by saying Allahu Akbar, right? So Allahu Akbar, one interpretation of that is that God is greater than whatever you may imagine. Mm-hmm. So you are already coming one step forward in your connection with God, appreciating that you can never fully understand God. Then you start reading Al-Fatiha. So you say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Maliki Yawm Then you say, Okay, so rough translation, by no means I try to be very accurate here. Praise to the Lord, the Lord of the world, or the Lord of everything, compassionate and merciful, the owner of the day of rewards. Only you we worship, and only from you we seek help. Do you see, Veronica, 
what is changing between the first three verse and the fourth one, when it says, It becomes more personal. How is it more personal? You are not wrong. I'm just trying to elaborate. How, how is it more personal? Because then we're saying you are addressing God in the second person pronoun. Very good. Yes. The first three verses is referring to God as a third person. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. The fourth one refers to God as a second person. What has happened here? You say, Allahu Akbar. You start walking towards the house of God. And you talk with him. But you don't see him. He's third person. So you're talking about him. You're not talking with him. You're talking about him. You talk about him. And then you knock on his door. And he opens the door. Now you see him. So then you say, only you I uh, worship and only you I seek help. So that is the second phase of progression in this prayer. You then talk with God and you say, put me in the right path. And immediately God fulfills your prayer because you then read Quran. And the Quran itself says that it's a book that is guidance for people. So you ask God, put me in the right path. And God gives you that right path, gives you that guidance by allowing you to read his words, recitation of the Quran. So you read the Quran. And once you finish the part that you want to read, it is like you have become so close to that ultimate being that we refer to as God that you no longer consider it appropriate to be standing. You need to bow down to mm. Roku. So you mm. bow down and you go to Roku because that energy is coming and capturing you. You cannot stand anymore. You bow down. Mm. Okay. You stay in that situation as long as possible so that your spiritual capacity develops itself and absorbs what you are getting. Once you feel that, yeah, I can take it now, you stand up. But now that you have stood up, you see that you're closer, even even more closer to that ultimate truth. This time, even bowing is not going to be enough. So you fell down on the ground. That is your prostration. That is your sajda. And you stay there. Stay there enough so that that capacity develops itself again. And same thing happens another time. You sit down and you see it again and you go down again and you do that twice. So in each stage, you are progressing. In each stage, you are getting closer and closer to that ultimate truth. And imagine that at the end of the prayer, when you say, Assalamu alaikum, Greetings or peace to you and rahmah, compassion of the Almighty and His blessing. Uh, well, I don't want to say that is not true. Of course, in some ahadith and narrations, you have that you are saying blessing and you are saying peace to the angels on your right and left. That is fine. But next, beside that, I want to say something else. When you do a prayer like that, that I just mentioned, by the end of it, you will become a new person. It is as if you were born new from your mother. You become a new person. You have become a new person, so then you say salam to the world that is around you. 
as a new person. That salam is actually meaning that salam to you because I'm a new person. And you are a new word for me now. MashaAllah, that is so beautiful. That so is, beautiful. That is, that is the start of your life after that. Start of your new life after that. Mm. So just imagine if you can do this five times a day. This is like a fast track spiritual journey then. Wow. And that then takes us back to the narration from the Prophet that said that the Prophet referred to some of the sins that people can easily pick up. And companions showed reservations that, wow, how can we get rid of these things? And the Prophet said, imagine there is a nice current of water, pure water in front of your house, and you go and wash yourself in it five times a day. Does any of that dirt remain on you? It is this kind of prayer that will do that. And if you read the stories that are narrated from the Mi'raj, the ascending journey of the Prophet, this is not time to talk about how much of this is authentic or not. But if you read those stories, you will find that the stories are narrating the same experience for real for the Prophet. That he says, he, he goes up there and he sees this truth is coming towards him and he goes to bow. And he stands up and he sees it again and he goes to prostration. He practically had the same experience. He lived prayer by that experience. So in a way, maybe we are illustrating that experience in this way that we are doing it just now. I think if we think about prayers in this way, when we, when we get to if we make it like a sign for ourselves that just automatically, as soon as we say it, we pay a little bit more spiritual attention, then we start to gradually see the benefit of it. Then every prayer that we read, when you finish your prayer, it is as if you have come out from a spiritual shower, from a mm -hmm. very pure water. And that's when you will actually look forward for the next prayer. Mm, that is so, so beautiful. That really touched me. There's something about the way you described it, going from the prayers to the actual physical motions. It, I could just really viscerally feel it. It's beautiful. Inshallah, we can all do prayers like that. Inshallah. So that is my answer to your question about prayers. I don't know why, but of all the things we've talked about on this on this podcast, which has been a lot of things, but your description right now, prayer just really impacted me. So alhamdulillah, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. I think I needed that. No problem. Thank you. And um, remember us in your prayers. Uh, and these things are important. Praying for each other, everybody, everybody praying for each other is very important, very important that uh, when we pray, we first pray for other people. Uh, Maybe we can talk about that on some future show because I don't feel that I I know how to channel my prayers towards other people as much as I'd like to because I think about people a lot. I worry about people, but I don't know how to pray for people. So maybe that would be an interesting thing to talk about in, in the future. So thank you so much, Farhad, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I hope and pray that the rest of the month of Ramadan is going to be full of blessing for you and everyone else. Same for you. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We welcome feedback at onelightchat at gmail.com. That's onelightchat, O N E L I G H T C H A T 
at gmail.com or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash Veronica Polo. Peace and blessings.